Your scripture is found in Matthew 1st chapter, verses 18 through 25, and then Matthew 2, 13 through 15, and then 19 through um, 21. Um, This is the word of God. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay here until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea, Judea, excuse me, in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, And he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So he fulfilled what was said through the prophets. He will be called a Nazarene. Again, this is the word of God. If you've been here a week now, um, you know we're in the middle of Advent season. And we are uh, doing a sermon series basically on the other people of the Nativity stories. Uh, Not the main characters. The... uh, Best supporting actors and actresses in the nativity scenes in the in the uh, in the stories from Luke and Matthew. It's the uh, you know if we if we had much more on it we might have done one on like the sheep um, or something like that. Um, it's the average folk that we're doing. Uh, we're, we're kind of looking through the lens of the nativity uh, for or with in our heads and in our minds. Because uh, Jesus came for all, and the nativity means something to all, including uh, the um, people like Elizabeth from last week, and Joseph from this week, and Herod for next week. Joseph, he's an average guy. He is um, a carpenter. He is uh, probably makes you know between thirty and fifty thousand a year, thirty and eighty thousand a year. You know the average, the right median income. Um, he is probably got good middle class values. Um, he, you know, votes on off-term elections. Uh, he's a regular guy. Uh, and why does that matter? That matters because we hate average. We hate things that are average. That seems wrong for some reason. There's a, there's a value against average. Um, and there's some good reasons for that, but most of them are bad. Um, 
we uh, we are so uh, average is so not average uh, in our media that you can actually create a reality TV show called Average Joe because it's so different that you might even get people to watch it. Right? Average. Uh, it's such a big deal to have average around us uh, in media and in, in, in billboards and things like that. When Dove commercials put out, you know, a picture of six normal-looking women, normal-looking women, it was like national. Oh, my goodness. Can you believe what they did? They're regular people in the ads. We have such a cult of beauty and progress and better and new and improved that average is just, uh, it's, 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 it's average. It's, it's useless. It's terrible. I mean, when Jamie Lee Curtis posed without all her makeup or, you know, you see the Oprah shot without the makeup, you know, you're just like, oh my goodness, she act, she looks normal. Actually, we think she looks bad, but no, she just looks normal like all of us do when we get up. Average is what we really hate. And what happens is there's, what happens is it throws us into this, um, this, this really bad place where we either try to avoid by being average by flying under the radar and staying low and staying deep. And if I'm not going to be that beautiful, I'm going to stay underachieving and under the radar. Or we push even further and we, uh, and we, we overachieve and we push too hard and we're not going to be average. And we sit down and uh, everything is not good enough. And we're never content just by ourselves. You have noticed that the, the Fox TV show Average Joe has actually a, a more important subplot, don't you? It's the Average Joe who's average actually gets the then beautiful person in the end, right? It still uh, is re-encouraging the myth that average isn't good enough, uh, and it's an anomaly if uh, average happen, if average uh, uh, makes its way into the beautiful world. It's an amazing thing to me. And what's this have to do with our, uh, our Advent season? What does it have to do with Joseph? It's because he's an average guy. He, he really is. He's, um, he's an understated, decent man. That's what it is. And frankly, that's what we are normally. I mean, you guys are great. I, I think you're wonderful and dignified and image bears of the king on high. But we're pretty much average folk. We're average folk, and we need to be able to experience a redemption of our averageness, of our ordinary. We need to be able to know that God is the God of the average Joe, of the average person. We need to know and experience uh, that the days that seem monotonous may have a tinge of beauty and dignity and a holiness in them. So we're average people, and uh, we're going to find out through Joseph's life that we're an average people. And that uh, we're guided in really kind of some ordinary and average ways. But that from that, an incredible and extraordinary redemption uh, can occur. Let's read from uh, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother Mary was pledged to, marry, uh, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But uh, before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. By the way, that's not average. Okay, Just so you know. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Okay, a couple things. First of all, being betrothed in the ancient world uh, was something like hyper-engagement. Uh, it was really, really, really engaged. Uh, it didn't get broken off very much. And so the language here about divorce is, is it's got that kind of equal weight to it. Um, uh, it you know, you're, they were divorced. They weren't married yet, but they still got divorced. It's because uh, betrothal in the, uh, in, the, in the ancient years was a very, very serious thing. And nobody really got out of it, uh, got out of a, an engagement like that, a betrothal. 
Um, but what do you hear about, about jo- Joseph here? You, you, you hear that he's a righteous man. Now, translations range for the word righteous everything from good to righteous as in the righteousness of God. So it, it's a really wide word. It can mean a lot of things. And uh, um, I really think this is just kind of normally good. He's a good guy. He's a salt-of-the-earth kind of guy. He's a, he's a guy who, who uh, you can trust his word. He's a regular guy. He's a, he's a righteous man. He's an honest Abe, if you will. He, uh, like I said, he'll pay his taxes. He, he votes in local elections. He's, a, he's just a regular guy. He's a guy you can count on. But he is an average guy. He is a carpenter. Um, he is a, uh, a tradesman. He would be equivalent to someone who works anywhere between an, elect, uh, an electrician or a car mechanic all the way to someone who works at the banks. Uh, that, all that kind of range, that kind of 50, 50% swath of our kind of economy. Uh, you know, just, just regular folk doing regular jobs. And he's, he's unassuming. Look, he, he actually is going to um, not divorce her publicly. He, he, he's not going to do away with her or, or loose her is the, probably the best term. Uh, free her in a public way. He's not going to uh, make, it a, make her a paradigm, a, a, an example. He's just going to kind of be under the radar. He's going to take the hit. He, he'll take the public shame and not her. He's unassuming. He's just a regular guy. And, and if, if you keep on looking all the other places in, in, uh, about, uh, about uh, Joseph, he, you know, he, he makes the genealogies after Mary. He gets addressed by people after Mary. He gets, uh, he, he's, always, he's the second guy. You know, he's the, he's, in, in Matthew 13, 5, when, um, when uh, Jesus does some miracles in, the hometown, in his hometown in Nazareth, they go, they, here's the questions of the crowds. Isn't that the carpenter's son? Isn't that the son of Mary? Brother of Judas, brother of, uh, 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 brother of James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? I mean, everybody gets named but Joseph. Right? He's the guy. He's the dad. He's, he's the carpenter. Mary always gets mentioned first. That's just the way it is. He's an unassuming guy. And he's... In one sense, not just unassuming, no one's really assuming much of him. It's not just his action. He's just kind of in the background, if you will. He's also a regular guy because he's scared. I don't know if you've noticed the readings, but in three, uh, two or three different places, it talks about him being afraid. Joseph, do not be afraid to make Mary, to take Mary home as your wife. Matthew 2.22, but when he heard that, Archelaus was uh, hiding, was reigning in Judea in the place of his father Herod. He was afraid to go there. He was just normally scared. Now, there's some good reason to be scared. I'm not trying to to, uh, to minimize that, but I want to. I'm trying to normalize it. Of course, he's scared. There's a guy going out trying to kill people. That you should be scared. But it's just a normal scare. It's not like um, you know, he's not the the Mr. Courage guy. He's rightly scared for right reasons. He's rightly scared that he will be uh, considered uh, foolish for marrying Mary. He's rightly scared uh, uh, for, for being at least curious why she's pregnant. Um, he's rightly nervous about all those things. When you think about him, think about someone who is normally scared. He's not heroic. Uh, last week, or two, maybe it was two weeks ago, Amanda came home, my wife, uh, Amanda came home with the kids, and the door was wide open on our house. It was just standing wide open, not unlocked, wide open. And uh, the dog was kind of walking in and out. And Amanda called me because she was rightly scared. And she said, will you please come and just walk through the house with me? And I said, okay. 
Don't think I walked through going, <laughs> kicking doors and looking for people. I was kind of going, I think I picked up a small pen or something like that that could possibly, something near there. And I was kind of going, all right. And I kind of did it real quick, you know, kind of walking around and, 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 and looked around and just made sure nothing can cut one way or another. I, it's normal. Look, if someone's in my house burglarizing me, I'm, I'm, I don't have a gun, so I'm stuck a little bit. I was a wrestler in high school, but if he's got a gun, that's not helping. It's tough to wrestle bullets. I was scared, like a normal person. Y'all, this is good news. This is good news. It's good news that one of the supporting cast members of the nativity scenes you see was an average Joe. And we live in a society, even in a Christian society, that wants to make uh, the rock star the most important thing. There's this uh, author, his name is John Eldridge, and he uh, writes a book called Wild at Heart, and you can imagine the passion of it. Um, and he's talking to men, and he says, uh, uh, and, and, and there's a lot of good about the book. There's a lot I, I find disturbing about it, uh, but there's a lot of good about the book. And um, uh, at one point, he's counseling with someone, and uh, the counselee, uh, or they're talking about it, he goes, you need to take control of your life like William Wallace on uh, Braveheart. You need to think of yourself as Braveheart. And the guy looked at him and said, but I feel like the guy with the pitchfork on the fourth row. And he goes, no, you're Braveheart. But the truth is, he's not Braveheart. <laughs> And neither are you, and neither am I. Pitchforks, we got them. And this is good news because you are not extraordinary. You're average Joes. You're weak, and you fear, and you hurt. And that's okay. We go to work and do things we know how to do. We go to school, and some of you learn things you'll actually use. We just do normal things all day long. That's what we do. Our days are average, our nights are monotonous. This is in one sense, uh, this is just a total aside, what Pastor Howard talked about, you know, just our day in and day out living is a viral experience upon our city that we would bring love and justice and peace there. Because we can't live abnormally, we just have to live normally. Some of you are at 10 hours a day at work, 8 hours a day at work. It is precisely there where the mission field has to be for you. Because you can't come then be a rock star and do everything else you need to do. You just have to live it out in your normal lives. Francis Schaeffer writes a book called um, No Little People and No Little Places. And I absolutely love this book and I recommend it to you. Um, Because what it does is say, all that you do matters. All that you do uh, is is important, um, even in its averageness. I guess what I'm asking us to do, and you've got to hear this rightly, is I'm asking us to dare... To be boring. To be boring. One of my professors used to say that about preaching. Dare to be boring. Get it right. Say exactly what it is. Don't try to go fluff it around everywhere else. But dare to be boring. I don't mean unimpassioned. I don't mean careless. I don't mean riskless. I mean boring. Just your regular stuff. There's such a tyranny of progress. There's such a cult of having an impact. Regularity and rhythm are not bad. They are good. And for simpletons like us, it's liberation. And we always miss this stuff. We really do. We, and we can't even self-assess right. So you know, self-assess on whether we're being impressive or good or not. You understand that, uh, I think I've said this before, that 80% of preachers 
think they're above average. Which makes at least 30% of us wrong. Right? Maybe it's 50%. It's one of the two. (laughs) 50% of us wrong. Because we got to be on the good side, you know? we got to be flipped on the good side. We don't see well. We don't understand well. We, we think that the Bible says, if you do a really impressive and outstanding thing, and then it will bring glory to God. Instead, in fact, the Bible says, whatever you do, do for the glory of the Lord. It's a completely different way to look at it. Martin Luther, uh, the wonderful reformational theologian and, and leader, um, uh, had so many conversions, uh, people coming and converting under his ministry, and he said, oh, Okay. Uh, oh, good. I don't need that page. Um, uh, he 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 said uh, somebody converted. It was a it was a it was a cobbler. It was a shoemaker converted under his ministry, and the shoemaker said, "So much is going on. There's such a uh, my heart is impassioned with the gospel. I'm so excited about all these things. What should I do for the kingdom?" And Luther looked at him and said, "Make a good shoe. Sell it at a fair price." Go be average. Go be normal. The gospel will go forth anyway. It's really good to know that we can be average because there is an average Israel and an average Abraham and an average David and there's an average you and me. There's speech-impaired Moses with an average stick that actually bloodied the Nile. An average stick held high that had conquering wars underneath it. An average stick that broke a rock and water flowed out of it. Just a regular shepherd stick that he used all the time. This means it's okay, y'all. It means okay. It means it's okay. If you didn't get the job, or the girl, or the education, or the show, or the sale, or the sermon, it's okay. If you're not the best preacher, or mother, or daughter or sister, or brother, or father, or friend, son. Now, you know well enough if you've been here long enough that I don't mean it's okay if you sin. I don't. But the fact that you're a sinner makes you average. And Jesus has come to average people like the average Joe. I want to take a second, because I I really think this is most... um, Oppressive, this idea that you can't be average to our women. I want to just take a second and talk to you all a little bit. You guys need to listen in too. But we live in a day and age that I think is as oppressive to women as it has ever been. I know it wasn't, you know, 70 years ago you couldn't vote, but that's not what I mean. There is so much pressure in being a woman. The pearls and the briefcase and the Bjorn. There's so much pressure to be daddy's girl and mommy's daughter, and there's so much pressure to be academically as gifted as everybody else, professionally as gifted as everybody else, still uh, um, uh, take care of uh, the children, clean house, all the other things that still go on. I'm not saying everyone feels this equal pressure, but it is to me a dominating, dominating force. It is truly an oppression that, uh, that, uh, that averageness can liberate. It's okay. It's okay that you don't have time to do everything you want to do. It's okay. It really is. Speaking specifically with moms with little kids right now, it's okay. You live in the hardest stage of life 
uh, that I understand as someone who's in the middle of that life from what other people tell me, the hardest stage of life there is. I'm trusting them with everything I got that that's true. My wife Amanda was uh, uh, listening to a lady on the radio, uh, and I think it was NPR. It was uh, uh, the woman with the speech uh, impairment. Um, I can't remember. Thank you, Diane Ream. And uh, I knew that was going to happen, even though I couldn't remember it earlier. Um, and uh, Diane Ream had, was uh, interviewing a lady who was a was a was an author. And uh, and this woman called in from Greensboro, I think, is what Amanda said. Uh, called in from Greensboro and says, "Oh." It's just so exciting to hear what you guys are doing. This is so wonderful. I'm 33 and I have three kids and I, I, I feel like I'm losing my life and my profession and my ability to do anything else other than take care of these kids. And Diane Reem kind of stopped her and said, Oh, honey, did you not know I just started radio when I was 38 years old? Or 48? Or something like that. Did you not know I started much later after my kids were in school and grown a little bit? Did you not know? And the, the author said, did you not know I didn't start writing until the kids were grown? Did you not know there's a whole life out for you? You don't have to do it all now. It's okay to be average. I don't mean mediocre and not putting your heart in it. You guys know well, better enough to know that we call to excellence and excitement and passion and all that other stuff. But it's okay. You don't have to be omnicompetent. You don't have to get it all done. You really don't. That's what, what, uh, what Joseph does for us. It says amazing things can happen even in the midst of our averageness. And the crazy thing is those amazing things that happen uh, don't happen necessarily because some extraordinary means. Uh, it's an average people that we are, and it's really an ordinary guidance that God gives. God has to be the one that kind of uh, puts the spark in, the, uh, in our elements of averageness. But when he does so, he doesn't necessarily call us to such amazing things that, uh, that, uh, that uh, are, uh, are sources for this, this greatness aren't called in such amazing things like, you know, mountaintop experiences all the time. There's an ordinary guidance, this, this careful guidance from our Lord um, that he prescribes for us. He prescribes for it for, uh, oh, well, let's talk about Joseph a little bit. We'll, we'll talk about how he prescribes for us later. But um, let's talk about Joseph. Because Joseph, if you watch how God guides him, this is probably, probably an illiterate man. How does he guide him? He guides him simply. Now, I know it's a big deal that he had dreams. In fact, he had four dreams. And that's a really big deal. But imagine dream three and four weren't as exciting as one and two. And for an illiterate guy, the guy God just gave him dreams. He just spoke to him directly. He just said, this is what I want you to do. It's very simple. It's a... Um, it's a, a, a Luth, uh, Calvin calls it prattle, where he, he condescends and speaks to the person in their own language. Uh, Calvin says that that's what God does to us in the scriptures. Uh, when God prattles to us in the scriptures in a clumsy, homey style, it lets us know that he's done it on the account of his love for us. He bends down and dreams, you know, he exacts dreams from Joseph's head so that he could communicate what he needs to do. But more than that, it's not just the dreams and the goes and the do's, which are really important. Think of the dignity he brings. The first time Joseph gets called by name is by God himself. Look at with me on, uh, uh, um, in, in our passage, uh, let's see, uh, in 20, in verse 20. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Think of the dignity that's bringing. He calls him Joseph, and he doesn't call him Joseph. He says, Joseph, son of the king. Son of the king, do not be afraid. You know that Joseph is not really cool with his boys right now. He is a cuckold. You know what a cuckold is? 
He's not holding it down. He's not taking care of business at home by all perceived circumstances. He's not doing what he needs to be doing to keep his woman. He's absent to some degree. He's a cuckold. He's a punk. You can't provide. But when the angel comes to him, he says, Joseph, son of David, I will bring you the dignity. Do not fear what they say. Do you understand that you are called by name? You average Joes, us average Joes, that it is your name that you're called by? You are known intimately, known by your name, your full name, your nicknames, your pet names to each other. You are known. You are known. Sometimes we get the macro gospel. We get the redemption of all creation, especially around here. We get that the Lord wants us to come and redeem community and be a part of uh, the viral uh, 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 expression of love and, 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 and mercy and goodness. But you are called by name. Individually. Average Joes called and known. Called and known. It's really simple. He's called by name. He's called simply. He's called directly. He literally says, go and do this. Okay? I'll do that. Take Mary. Okay? Go to Egypt. Okay? Don't go to Egypt yet. Go to Nazareth. Okay? It's really simple. It really is. And it's, it's, it's hard to think that it could be this simple. It really is. Do you understand that, that basically that's what the Lord provides for us? God has ordained uh, ways for us to kind of interact with Him, ways for us to be directed, to be guided. And they're not that impressive. I wish they were. They're things like the Word. The Word preached and the Word read is like eating. You cannot remember 15 meals that you've had in your lifetime. But you've eaten... And you're here. And you're alive. Sometimes it's boxed macaroni and cheese. Sometimes it's filet mignon. And you can remember those great nights of filet mignon. But you ate. And it fed you. And it was ordinary and average. And the sacraments. These sacraments, baptism uh, and the Lord's Supper, are, are water fountains of grace to drink of. But sometimes the water's hot in the summer. And sometimes it's too cold in the winter. It doesn't always feel and experience the right way, but it does feed you. It does change you. It does, uh, 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 it, it does through its average means, uh, affect you. And the church is the same way. Being in fellowship with each other, talking to each other, coming to church together, worshiping together. You don't remember ten great worship services, but that's okay. You've been affected by them, and you're being changed by them, and the Lord meets us here. I wish it could be extreme church, an extreme Bible reading, with an X, not with an EX, you know. Extreme. I wish it could be. I looked up extreme with an X. It was okay. Nothing really crazy came up, except for extreme knitting. It was only like 20 down from Google. I was like, you've got to be kidding. We can't even knit. Knitting, if anything shouldn't be extreme, it should be knitting. It should be a, a complete freedom to not be extreme. Knitting, for goodness sake. We gotta run ultra marathons. We can't even run, just run marathons anymore. 
Think of what it does to our hearts and minds. It numbs us, numbs us into a senseless daze of feelings of inadequacy. Or it drives us to the next promotion, the next friendship, the next sex partner, the next drug, the next job, the next religious experience. And I put those all there together. Half the time I think that uh, people I meet with, with in terms of pornography addiction, it's not even about the sexual uh, interaction. It's about the extremeness of it. And I know it's the case with friends who I meet with with, the, with uh, drug addictions. It's not the attractiveness to the drug. It's the thing. It's hiding the ache of normal. It's hiding the, nake of, the, 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 the ache of average. We don't like it that God has ordained ordinary things. And it's because we don't have an appetite for our own infancy. Let me read to you uh, from Chesterton, G.J. Chesterton, a great Catholic brother from the turn of the century. It might be true that the sun rises regularly because he never gets tired of rising. The sun, S-U-N. His routine might be due to a lifelessness, not to a lifelessness, but a rush of life. The thing I mean can be seen, for instance, in children when they find some game or joke that they specially enjoy. Think peekaboo. Because children are abounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he's nearly dead. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never got tired of making them. It may be that God has an eternal appetite of infancy, for we have sinned and grown old, and our Father is younger than we The repetition in nature may not be a mere recurrence. It may be a theatrical encore. When I first became a pastor, I thought to myself, I made a vow early and young. I said, you know what I'm not going to do? I'm not going to tell people, take two Bible verses and call me in the morning. I'm not going to be about uh, giving the exact scripture reference for the exact scriptural thing. I'm not going to just tell people to pray. I'm not going to tell people come to church and worship and be part of fellowship. I'm not going to say those are the three things and that's it. And I was a fool. I'm not saying I'll just give you two verses. We'll work through all that stuff. But you get what I'm saying? It is the word. It is the sacraments. It is fellowship. It doesn't get any more complicated than that. It's monotonous. It can be boring. I dare you to be bored. Risk being bored with those things that we would just keep attending to each other. That we would keep attending to the Word. That we would keep praying. That we would keep working through those things and trust that God may do something crazy with it. Dare to be bored is what I'm saying to be. Dare to be bored. Dare to hope that God might actually change you and care for you and teach you in ordinary ways. Risk disappointment in the ordinary. Average Joes, let's risk. Dare to be guided by the rhythm of daily prayer. Dare to be bored by the ordinary guidance of God's Word. Dare to be bored this week when we come to the supper or next week when we come see a baptism. Dare to be bored by serving in normal ways. Dare to be bored by passing out bulletins. Dare to be bored by serving in the nursery or setting up worship or changing diapers or uh, any average daily guidance that is yours. Dare to be bored. Do not let the tyranny of extreme have you because it will never fill you up. But it won't fill you up either 
unless something else happens. You can do all the right stuff. You can do everything exactly monotonously, but it won't fill you up unless what the rest of the story says is true. That there is, among average people, guided uh, pretty ordinarily by God, an incredible and extraordinary redemption that can take place. I don't know if you notice in Matthew, in the 122, in the first part, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. Or in 2.14, So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod, and so fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Or later, having been warned in a dream, he went down to Nazareth, and it said, So he fulfilled what was said through the prophets, He will be a Nazarene. It's an average people ordinary stuff that's taking place, ordinary um, guidance. But there is an extraordinary plan and purpose unfolding for Joseph and for us. It's an extraordinary move uh, of God to get everything in order. You know that's why the genealogies exist. So you go, so you know, hey, God's got all this thing planned all the way through. Why it keeps referencing Old Testament uh, um, uh, prophecies. Hey, I'm, I'm attending to this. I'm here. I'm bringing the extraordinary narrative, the incredible story forward. I'm the one that uh, has my hand behind the scenes. I'm the narrator and the narrative uh, uh, and the force of the narrative. I'm the creative genius behind these things. You must understand that God uses a census. Going and basically registering to vote. He goes in and basically registers to vote or registers uh, his, his, an ID card. Basically goes to get an ID card to get, uh, to get um, Joseph and his family out of the clutches of Herod's uh, uh, murderous ways. It's just a regular thing. But God's purpose and provision is behind it. There is no secular place you understand that. There is no secular activity. There is no ah-religious endeavor. There's no secular work, no secular uh, conversations, no secular people. All things, every square inch of creation is touched by the holy purposes of our Lord. Carpentry and fatherhood and business people and motherhood, everything is a high calling from our Lord because he's creating it into his purposes. I can say this with surety, that, that, that just like God had a plan for Joseph, that he has a purpose for all his ordinariness, so he has for us. And it is the same plan. It is the same plan to bring about and, uh, uh, and, and interact with this great redemptive story coming out, which eventually comes in Jesus. Because it's not just about his purpose. It's about the person that this story is all about. It's about the hero. She will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The virgin will be with child and he and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Your stories, Joseph's stories, are tied up in God with us. This child, this one who comes, this one who is called Jesus or Savior. Your and my story both are tied in that. And this leads us to amazing things. It leads us to being redeemed as average Joes when the Lord infuses his creation with with all this stuff. Where he comes in and he infuses it with power. He infuses it with the strength and and the extraordinariness that it needs. It is him who brings and makes the ordinary extraordinary or holy. It's him who um, is the force behind these things. He is the one. And think about what average Joe ends up becoming. He becomes God's adopted father. 
It's amazing. He adopts Jesus. The normal act of going to a census, just simple obedience, becomes uh, his managing through uh, uh, really the killing fields of Herod, the, 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 the infanticide, the, the mass murder of toddlers for two and under in the land. Him just simply moving forward. Is, is he good enough? Is Joseph that smart? No, it's God who orchestrates brilliantly and beautifully our redemption. He is not smart, and we are not smart or good enough. Someone else has to make it right, and someone else has God with us. Someone else has to have the power, and someone else does. It is Savior, Jesus. Someone else has to be the change agent, and there is. And then crazy, miraculous, really extraordinary things do happen where people honor and receive this king, where people do amazing things. Children are reared by a million decisions. Average and normal decisions. Marriages are made by thousands and thousands of decisions, little, many, average decisions. Churches are made by little, millions, and average decisions. My, my dad uh, and my mom uh, split, actually, when I was in college. And my dad actually moved in with another guy who also was uh, getting divorced, both military men. And I asked him. They're both sitting there. Uh, and uh, one was more, my dad's not as talkative as the other guy. And I said, I said, so tell me. I was getting ready to get married. I was engaged. And I said, tell me, how, how, what do I do? How, do? how do I not end up divorced? What are some of the things that went down in your marriage that, that didn't work? And he looked at me and he said, there was no magic bullet. You know, Army folk are good at after-actions reports. And he just said, there wasn't a magic bullet. There was no main event. He, said, he literally is the one that gave me the idea. He said, I made thousands of decisions every day that pushed my wife away. And she made, he was gracious to her, he said, and she made hundreds of decisions uh, uh, that, pushed me, that pushed me away. It's those average things. I think church planting is an incredibly miraculous and extraordinary thing. I really do. I think it's awesome. What we're doing here is really cool. It's really extraordinary. But you must understand that it doesn't happen uh, through extraordinary things. Churches are planted every Thursday at worship practice when they work through songs. Christ Central is planted uh, when grungy and glorified people get together and work through stuff. Christ Central will be planted as community groups get together and share their lives with one another with varying degrees of success. Christ Central is planted with a thousand phone calls a month to each other, talking and checking and how we're doing. Christ Central will be planted by emails, going back and forth, encouragement and, and confront, confrontation and comfort. Christ Central will be planted by the daily preparation of preaching, whether you're in the 80% or the 20% or the 50%. Christ Central is planted on the ordinary prayers of average shows like us that keep Christ Central, Christ Central. It's planted by 20 people a Sunday getting up here all over this place and putting this place together. It's planted by people passing out bulletins, wiping bottoms over there, uh, uh, doing Sunday school up, up there. That's how Christ Central is planted. It is not extraordinary except for that the Lord himself comes 
and is with us and becomes Emmanuel and infuses it and brings the power to it. And he becomes the hero of this story. And so we can say there is a William Wallace in the room, but it's not us. William Wallace in that, in that story is Jesus. He is Braveheart. And we can gladly pick up our pitchforks and our hoes and our shovels on the fourth row. And we can ride and run and do whatever we do. Because we have a hero that comes before us. The Emmanuel, the one who is said to be with us. We have a William Wallace. It is not us, but he brings the dignity to our fighting and to our living into our normality, into our averageness, into our regularness. Because he is extraordinary, we can be average Joes. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that that you love us, that uh, we're impressive to you because we have a hero that has rescued us and come and been with us. We thank you for our parts, whether on the fifth row or the first row or the third row or the tenth row, whether we have a, uh, we're taking care of the troops at home, or whether we are uh, on the fourth row with the pitchfork or if we are even running away from the battle, that you are our William Wallace, that you are our hero, and that you um, provide for us uh, mercy and love and kindness, and that you accept people like us, average Joes. In your name. Amen.